All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your special hand upon us this evening. Have your spirit guide us and direct us and teach us. Keep us humble. Help us to see what you want us to see as you've been talking so much about opening our eyes and giving us the medicine of the Word of God. Father, we thank you for all of those gathered here tonight. We pray for all those who are suffering and going through trials. We ask that you ease their burdens, especially through your word and your spirit, and also through the ministering of others, which is a precious gift you allow us to give and receive. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, once for all to pay our price on that cross so that whoever trusts in him in their heart will be saved and is given eternal life as a gift. We ask your blessing be upon everything going on this evening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. The difficult passages, Grace and Works, part 23. We've noted recently that God's grace does whatever's best for us. It's not that God's grace means he does what's easiest for us. So it's very tempting. That's what we want to believe. That's what the flesh will have us believe. And some pastors will teach too. Grace is, you know, God's going to make your life as easy as possible. But that's not really what love does, right? Honestly, Love is very honest and truthful. Love tells it how it is many times. And that means love does what's best for us. And that's our Heavenly Father. On Sunday, the Spirit reminded us to embrace the challenging lessons that we've been receiving, that we've been fed now for years through Pastor Collins. And what a special calling on his life. Because it's not always fun to get up and tell people what they don't want to hear. But if you're sticking with it, and many of you here tonight have been sticking with it, if you're honest, you're very grateful for all that the Spirit has revealed to you over the last few years, for example, setting us free from various bondages and giving us the full picture of the gospel even. I mean, what a wonderful blessing we've had in the last couple of years especially with a perspective change and the fullness of the gospel coming out. But how did all these things come about? You're grateful now, right, where you're at? You're grateful for these things that we've learned? These things came about through tough lessons, kind of like pulling teeth sometimes, right? You're like, ah, I'm in the dentist chair again. And that's what it feels like sometimes, sitting in Bible class, hearing something that God is trying to wake us up to, that we thought we already knew or whatever. So this is a great example to show us that the tough lessons are no less grace than the quote-unquote easy lessons. In fact, they might be considered more grace. Without the tough love from the Spirit of God, we wouldn't have the wisdom that He's now given us. This newfound wisdom and this new place He has us at now, we wouldn't have it. We'd still be trapped in bondage to man-made doctrines, for example. 
So we must remember where we've come from. We must remember how we got to where we're at and embrace even the tough lessons. As DJ said it uh, so well, I'd rather be pummeled by hard lessons, by grace, than have my feelings stroked. I'd rather walk out of here a little sore than artificially uplifted. God knows what I need. Again, look at the fruit of all the hard lessons. Look how wonderful it's been for many of us uh, and the freedom to where God's taken us to. That's grace. And the results of grace being honest with us, not being accommodating to us. So thank God that he's not accommodating to man. I mean, when's the last time you prayed that? You know, thank you, God, that you're not making my life as easy as I'd like it to be. When's the last time you prayed that? Because in all honesty, he knows we'll be missing out if he's not, you know, doesn't lay it on the line for us and be honest. And he wants us to have the best. So thank God he's not accommodating to man, but is willing to do whatever's best for us, even when it hurts. That's a good father, a good, good father. Here's a quote on the board that Pastor shared from his wife Tammy on Sunday also, which sums up the gratitude we should have for God opening our eyes. Uh, She had said to Pastor one day, I was thinking about our conversation regarding how God the Holy Spirit has you teach the tough lessons as I was reading Hebrews 12, 11 through 12. Our God is pouring out his magnificent grace on us. And we'll go to Hebrews 12 if you want to turn to Hebrews 12 right now. So take a look at that again. But that's what the verse basically says. The tough stuff is grace. Um, You're going to be blessed in the end. And what you see on the board, that's not human perspective. Human perspective says, that hurts. How could that be God's grace? But divine perspective says, it's all good, Lord. I trust you know what's best for me. Hurt me if you must. I love you. Tough lessons from the Spirit are His magnificent grace being poured out on us. God loves us enough to tell us and show us the truth. Thank God for that. So we ought to also, before we read this passage, we also ought to be grateful for our pastor, who might rub us the wrong way at times, but loves us enough to tell us the truth, listening to the Spirit, even to give what we would call unpopular messages. We should be very grateful. Sounds like the Old Testament prophets to me. The Old Testament prophets, whew, how many of them ended up being killed by their own people because they kept telling the truth that the Jews didn't want to hear, but they were telling the truth. They were being honest and delivering God's message. So think about this. Next time pastor is led to bring up a tough lesson or topic that challenges your pride or what you already know, don't kick against it so quickly this time. Not as quick as the last time anyway, right? Stop and remember what he just did for us over the last year or two. 
Remember, the Spirit is removing a lot of scars from our souls. So we mustn't revolt in our souls, but remain humble and see what the Scripture has to say. Again, as DJ so plainly said, God gives us whatever we need to hear. And that's grace. So now that you're at Hebrews 12, look at verse 11. It says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Amen? (laughs) All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, since that's true, in other words, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. We don't usually think of discipline as being for the purpose of healing, do we? But that's really what verse 11 says. Verse 11 through 13. We don't usually think of discipline as being for the purpose of healing. But that is the wonderful result after some sorrow and pain if we humble ourselves. We're brought to a better place, one we didn't know of. And I'm sure you'll all agree it's all worth it if you've been sticking with the lessons to see how God brings you out the other side after some time. But it takes a time of pain and confusion sometimes and analyzing yourself, right? and admitting to God who you really are. But you come out the other side, and it's like, whoa, I didn't know this was here. You know, it's like coming out of a wooded path or whatever, and you see the beautiful field and whatever's there. You know what I mean. You come out of this place that you had no idea was at the end of the the tunnel. So God continually wants to do that for us. And as we stay humble, he's going to keep doing that. But let's stay humble when we hear the tough lessons. So the tough lessons and even the conviction of the Spirit while we read our Bibles, this is part of God refining us. God has to refine us. You know, there's there's no way around it to get rid of the garbage in our souls, the arrogance in our souls. He has to refine us. He has to chip away. He has to burn off the slag in our souls. Remember that analogy. Like on the board in Revelation 3.18, Jesus said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That means the best gold, the pure gold, the godly gold, must be refined by fire. In this life, there's a lot to burn off to see the full truth. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Just like God's discipline brings us to proper healing, God's truth brings us to seeing clearly. And so while we are each being refined, we must also keep one another in mind, including our pastor. You know, I I fall into the same trap. It's easy to think a pastor has it all figured out or never has any, you know, trouble because it's his gift. But there couldn't be a tougher job 
we should all be alert to making his job easier and even ministering to him when motivated by the spirit within us. Because we're all fighting the same battle and he's on, you know, he's at the front post where he takes most of the heat. Somebody texted uh, pastor this past week, Romans 8, 18, praying for your heart today. That's nice, right? How would you like to get that text? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Go to Romans 8, 18. And what, what might seem like a little thing uh, could make all the difference in the world at the right time. We've all been there. That little meaningful reminder coming at the time needed can help change somebody's perspective for that day. And you could be a part of that. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Boy, if we could remember that every day and have that stamped on our forehead, right? The sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us one day. So, accept it. Embrace it. Look forward to the glory. When you're in a rut, you might really need to get a text like this from somebody or a reminder about this scripture. It could be, you could be having a horrible day. Aren't you grateful when someone brings that kind of encouragement to you at the right time? And let me ask you this. Is there anything quite like when someone says to you out of the blue that they've been praying for you? Or is there anything quite like when someone actually comes up to you and says, hey, can I pray for you? Or and offers to pray with you when they know you're going through a hard time? Is there anything as comforting as that, really, in this life? I mean, if you're honest, it can relieve a lot of pressure from your soul. It's a wonderful gift. So there's an indescribable need in the soul that this fulfills, and it's God's grace flowing to you through other people, often at just the right time. It's God's grace. And as loving sheep and as grateful sheep, we should not only receive ministering, which is always nice, but we should be giving it as well. You see, our, our job is to focus on giving, trusting that God will fulfill our needs on the back end. We, we, we often focus on ourselves. We have it the other way around. I need this right now. Or me, 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 me. Right? And we're hoping that someone comes up to us and encourages us. Well, if you just focus on everybody else, God knows when you really need it. And he'll bring someone to you at that time. But in the meantime, you have the privilege of focusing on somebody else that really needs it right now. Instead of focusing on yourself all the time. We're all ministers. That's what we heard on Sunday. We all have a part to play in God's divine orchestra called life. You can choose to play a good tune or a bad tune. Because he gives you that freedom. We all have something different to contribute as well. Not better or worse. Nobody's is better or worse. But we all have something different and unique to contribute to somebody at some time. Embrace that truth and believe that God has a plan 
and a certain position for you to walk in for the benefit of others, especially fellow believers. So on the board we saw on Sunday about the value of the minister. We're all ministers. We're all called to do ministering in different forms and different, you know, gifts. But we're all told to be there for each other. Sometimes you're just so weary that God provides another person to reach into the jar of medicine, for example, the eye salve in Revelation 3.18, and apply it for you. As in Matthew 4.11, Philippians 2.25-30, and Galatians 6.6-10. And think about it, apply it for you. There's going to be times that you're so weak, you can't even lift your arm up to go into the medicine jar and put it on yourself. And I had the chance to see um, Jenny a couple days ago, who's still back in the hospital now, keep her in prayer. But she was saying after she got out of a coma for a few weeks, she literally, and this was a while ago, but she literally couldn't lift her hand up to turn the page of the book she wanted to read. So as true as that is in the physical realm at times when we're, when we're you know, put in bed, it's true in the spiritual realm too, isn't it? So someone can look okay on the outside, oftentimes, but they're so weak they won't even op- can't even open the Bible. Maybe you need to open it for them. So whatever it is, we have the opportunity to help others in this way and be helped in this way because we're all going to need it at some point. God knows, and God provides. He uses us if we're willingly humble to administer this medicine at times. What a privilege. I mean, if there's a soldier on the front line who's wounded and you have the privilege to go up to him and give him a cold cup of water, right? What a great privilege. Well, that's what's going on in the spiritual realm, folks, right? It's a battle. And we can't judge by the appearance. Someone looks all right. Someone's acting all right, right? Someone's smiling all the time, but you can tell they're hurting. Or maybe you should ask. So, listen to the Spirit on that. But if we're willingly humble, we get the chance to be used like that for God's fellow soldiers, soldiers of Christ. And we saw on Sunday, even Jesus himself was ministered to, even though he was perfect. In Matthew 4.11, on the board, Then the devil left him, that was after all temptations, if you remember, that he gave him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So the main lesson, one lesson we can get from this here is it's tiring, it's exhausting to resist the devil as you you have to be on guard all the time, especially at times of temptation. And it takes energy to do that. It takes energy. That's where we grow weary sometimes. It takes energy to resist the devil. But God knows we're limited. God knows we can only take so much, right? We know that. We know he knows he'll only give us as much as we can handle. That's in the scripture. And then when you're just at the edge and you can't handle anymore, he brings somebody in to take the load off. Or he does it another way. But God understands fully. And this verse came up recently, too, in our lessons. James 4, 7 on the board. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
listen, as, as much as much greater and smarter the devil is than you, so the God is in the devil. You know what I mean? So we can't get intimidated by the devil. He can only do what we allow him to do in a way. If we resist him, he will flee from you. And if you submit to God, notice that comes first in this scripture. If you submit to God, then he gives you that power to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. But let's face it. I mean, the spiritual life is a battle at times. And Satan and his cronies will attack at the most inopportune times in our lives. Isn't that true? He'll wait till you're tired or in pain. And then he'll send in a thorn to bug you. But we must never despair. God is infinitely more powerful than the devil and provides us the power to resist the devil if we submit to God. So we never despair. It's like as a believer in Christ who's indwelled by the Trinity, it's foolish to despair. Right? That Satan wants you to despair and he'll tempt your flesh to despair. Ah, you should just give up now. You know, he's whispering in your ear. There's no hope. You're tired. God's left you. God forgot you. And he just wants you to despair and get in that, buy that lie. Instead, you can turn around, you recognize that lie and turn around and give him whatever symbol you want to give him and be like, I'm not listening to that. You know what I mean? Or do you? I meant the cross, you know? Uh, anyway, seriously, though, we can get, we can recognize his traps, his, his lies, and say, I'm not listening to that. I know where that's from, and I'm not going to despair because God is way more powerful than you knuckleheads trying to bother me. So thank God that the Lord ministers to us at just the right time and in just the right way. And very often it's eye salve to anoint our eyes so that we can see what's really going on spiritually. So again, on the board, the value of the minister. Sometimes you're just so weary that God provides another person to reach into the jar of medicine for you and apply it for you. What a wonderful gift. And even Paul was humble enough, okay, think about this, Paul was humble enough to accept ministering from others. He didn't say, like, arrogantly, like, I'm an apostle. I don't need help from anybody. I got God. I got a one-on-one, you know, connection. He's helping me write, write scripture. I don't need people to help me. Was that Paul's attitude, or was he extremely grateful when God brought another gracious believer to him to encourage him or help him out. Go again to Philippians 2.25. And God might purposely use a brand new believer, for those of you that have been in the Word for decades, to teach you a lesson or to minister to you in ways that you didn't expect. Just to keep us humble. Philippians 2.25. Paul wrote, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And Pastor made note on Sunday how there's nothing really special said about this guy, you know, that he's an apostle or pastor or anything. 
It says, my, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So, ministering can be done by any believer to any believer. Ministering to others is a great privilege. And at times, you will grow weary, but that's where we pick up the slack for one another. That's why God designed us as the body of Christ, and he commands us to gather together like this so that we can fill in the gaps for one another. I mean, he, know, he knows our weakness. We all have this need. And so he provides this beautiful place, this beautiful building with beautiful people, you know, um, one of the things, too, um, I talked to Paula's social worker earlier today, and a uh, nice lady named Liz, you can keep her in prayer. But she was saying how she's always seen how the church people are always there for Paul and Leo. And she's like, I'm amazed. Like, it's wonderful to see, like, there's so much that you guys have done and so much love you've shown for them, where a lot of people just talk about it. So be encouraged. And there we are able to minister to people, to indirectly witness to people, all because we're willingly humble. We're willing to go forward and, and be open to what, where the Spirit's leading us, what He's calling us to. It's kind of like we're handing off a baton to each other constantly, you know, like a relay race. It's kind of like we're constantly handing off that baton to each other where we pick up that slack for one another. And at times it's going to be role reversal. You might help somebody who's really in need, and they're like, gee, I wish I could help you, but, you know, thank you so much. And next year, your lives are opposite, and they're the ones helping, helping you, and you really need it. Great. That's how it's designed to be, by the grace of God. So on the board, if you're going to follow the Lord's command of the Great Commission to go out and make disciples, for example, and if you're going to be a good soldier of Christ, paying attention to the little things, you will become tired at times. But don't grow weary, especially in a sense of despair. We're all going to get tired at times. And that's good. In fact, it's wonderful in God's eyes. What a great reason to get tired, helping too many people, to put it simply. Ministering when you really don't have the strength, but you know God's called you to it, and then you get so much, so much blessing out of it too. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. But again, on the board, if you're going to follow the Lord's commands, like the Great Commission, and be a good soldier of Christ, paying attention to the little things, you will become tired at times. But don't grow weary. Don't despair. It's wonderful in God's eyes, and He will provide for you when, when you need it. When, you, when you're too tired, you think you're too tired, He'll come in and scoop you up, use somebody else to 
fill in the gap. Go to Galatians 6 again. And we'll start at verse 6 again, as we did on Sunday. Galatians 6.6. 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Well, since I'm teaching this evening, you might want to apply that verse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, you know what this verse reminded me of before we read this passage in context? I thought of the tribe of Levi. As I'm in the Old Testament right now, now I got through Deuteronomy and all that. And the tribe of Levi, they were not given any inheritance by God at the Promised Land. All the other tribes were. The tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. They were serving the people, right? That's what a priest does. He serves the people represents the people before God. That was needed in the Old Testament. We don't need it now. We're all priests if we're believers. But the point is, is Levi had to be provided by the rest of the, you know, congregation, if you will. Levi was provided for. And that's a person in service. In other words, your pastor has been taken out of circulation from living a normal life. So we have the opportunity to provide for a servant of God who serves all of us. So look at the extra blessing in that. Again, in verse 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For example, ministering to others. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faithful. This is why we must always be open to the Spirit's leading. I mean, life is not about coming to church and going home and making sure your routine doesn't get broken and, you know, staying in your comfort zone and staying away from people that you don't really want to talk to, whatever. Life's not about that. Life's supposed to be dynamic. It's supposed to be lived. It's supposed to be dynamic, allowing God to change it on a dime on a certain day or at a certain moment guiding you what to do in the moment, not some boring, you know what I'm saying. It's not supposed to be that way. We have to be open to the Spirit's leading. There are times He'll push you to reach out to somebody, to use you to minister to them, if you're listening. And I'm, I mean you, I mean every, everyone listening to my voice. Because some people get a little too... Maybe arrogance is the right word. Thinking, God wouldn't use me, or what can I do, or what's good about me? And it's a foolish, stupid way to think. God has assignments for each one of us. You might say, what good do I have to say to help somebody? I'm not good with words. Okay, 
Do you ever think maybe it's not what you say, but it's the fact that you just reached out to somebody at the right time and maybe said, hey, I don't know what to say, but God wanted me to give you a call? I don't know. That encourages your brother just to know somebody's even thinking (laughs) about you at that time when you probably need it most. You don't know what they need is, right? But God knows, and he's, he's egging you on to contact somebody, for example. It's a blessing that you have the chance to participate in if you're listening. And at times that will come full circle as another spirit-filled person will come to you at just the right time. Funny how that works, huh? Must be a coincidence. Of course it's not. So on the board, yes, you. As they say, the Italians say, right? Be open to what the Spirit is convicting you of each and every day. And be sensitive to His leadings. And that takes a certain humility in your daily relationship with God. Be open to what the Spirit is convicting you of. I mean, He has His way with each one of us. I really believe that. Like, I think He convicts me in a certain way differently than He convicts every one of you. He knows our hearts, He knows our personalities, and He gets to us exactly the way. So that's why we have to listen, because don't ignore Him. Like, if you, if you know, you know when He's asking you to do something, or when He's getting to you, or, or pressing something, convicting you of something, or someone. So instead of ignoring and saying, gee, why did I have that thought? <laughs> How about saying, gee, maybe that was a spirit giving me that thought? And actually acting upon it by faith. We must be sensitive to his leadings, but that does take a certain humility in your relationship with him each day. So now back to a point that the Spirit has been emphasizing to us the last couple weeks, namely that we need the Word of God each day if we're going to be healthy and strong spiritually, just like you need food every day. On the board, ministering spiritual nourishment. Man doesn't live on bread alone. How powerful is an emaciated man, even if, when totally healthy, he's a force to be reckoned with? If he's emaciated, he's not. He's starving. And spiritually speaking, the distracted man is the starving man. The one who doesn't eat the Word of God on a daily basis is going to be starving. And he may or may not know it, but he's going to be emaciated. And he's going to have no energy, no faith. He's not going to hear the Spirit talking to him. Why? Because he thought all he needed was bread, physical bread. And Jesus said you need every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So until we admit that need, and again, back to this word need, I'm not talking about you you need it, you know, to be a good person. You need it to have a good life. No, no, no. You need it to not starve to death, spiritually. Just like you wouldn't think of not eating in a given day. And just like you need that bread to give you the nutrients and energy, we need the Word of God that badly. So until you're humble enough to admit that and turn to God in that way, you'll drown in your own flesh every day, miserable, swimming in the sewer pipe, as Pastor likes to say, of the world. But that's, that's where we're at. It's either one or the other. You're in the world. You're stuck here. 
you are going to be consumed by the things of the world, distracted, um, depressed even by the things in the world, unless you humbly turn to God and that you need the Word of God every day. Part of this wisdom is being alert for being taken captive by the details of life. This is what the Spirit's also been saying the last couple weeks. Part of this wisdom is being alert for being taken captive by the details of life, even the quote-unquote good things in life, even the blessings from God. We saw this on Sunday, a definition of temptation. Anything that takes one of God's children away from His will for them, good, bad, or ugly, if it takes you away from God's will for your life, you just got duped by Satan in the kingdom of darkness, especially by the good things. For example, if you become a slave to the blessing, it could be a blessing from God. But if you become a slave to the blessing, rather than the one who blesses, consider yourself as having fallen. You let something take you away from God's will for your life. However, as the Spirit's been telling us, do not despair. That's not what we do. We have Christ in us. Why? Why shouldn't we despair? On the board, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's why we shouldn't despair even when we fail. Even when we realize we got duped and we were a slave to a blessing. All he can do is come back and thank God that is another day to begin and his grace never ends. Wonderful. So don't despair because that's what the world does and we're not of the world. The world, the people in the world have no hope without Jesus Christ. They may, may or may not realize that but they have no hope and they despair because they're without Jesus Christ. We have him. If you've trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior, you have Him. You, you possess Him. He possesses you by grace. And so there's no reason to despair ever in this world. One day we're all going to see Him face to face. And on the board, we heard this on Sunday too. While grace isn't a license to sin, it is most definitely an opportunity to stand back up. So don't despair even when you're duped, even when you fall into a certain temptation. Remember the verse on the board. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's why we don't despair. And turn to Proverbs 24, verse 16. Proverbs 24, 16. We will fail in this life. There's no doubt about that. Many of you are experts at it. <laughs> Just kidding. We all are. We all, we all sin every day in some way. But the believer in Christ gets back up. 
because he, he's not without hope. He's not despairing. He knows who he belongs to. Proverbs 24, 16, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. That's what the righteous does. That's what the believer does. Falls seven times and rises again because he knows God's grace. So, as believers in Christ, we've been saved and delivered from sin and death. And it's by this grace, this new standing we have in Christ, that we're able to stand every day. We're in the light. If you're a believer in Christ, you're in the light. And you have the Lord as your perfect, redeeming hope. Always and forever. So we don't despair, not ever. And that's not part of the inheritance we've been given. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. We don't despair, not ever. Because we've been given an inheritance that's undefiled and cannot fade away, according to the Scripture. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So why would we ever despair, give up? We're justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what else do you need? What else could you really want? What else could you be worried about? So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Again, it's back to Lamentations 3 on the board. That's why hope doesn't disappoint. God's perfectly faithful every single morning, even though we don't deserve it. So this is why we even rejoice through the tough lessons because the God of hope is building something good in us and he's always faithful. Turn to Romans 15, verse 13. We have the God of hope and our hope is in a God who can't fail. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're meant to do. That's how we're meant to live. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Bad day? Doesn't matter. You know, tomorrow's a new day. You can always repent. And God's right there. 
you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the board, we're not like the world in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, already dead, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Right? We have hope. We know where Leo is, face to face with Jesus right now. I think of the joy and peace that he has right now. It just blows my mind, you know, especially with what he went through. Blows my mind. We have that amazing hope, and we don't grieve like the rest that don't have hope, right? So that verse on the board brings us seamlessly to this point right here, that there's a big difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light. In darkness, as an unbeliever, you're blind. But in the light, in the light of Christ, you can see. Even though you might trip and stumble from time to time, you might fall to temptation. We all do. But you're in the light. You're in Jesus. You can see. You know the truth. And you have the hope. Paul taught this to a group of believers in Ephesus. Uh, Go to Ephesus chapter... Uh, Ephesus. <laughs> That's funny. Ephesians. Ephesians. The Ephesians live in Ephesus. Ephesians 5.15. Paul taught this to them, and he's like saying, you know the truth. You know you're different now, so walk in what you know. He's encouraging them. Walk in this light that you have if you're in Christ. <coughs> Ephesians 5.15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See how he's saying, you know, you know the truth. Walk wisely, make the most of your time, and you know what the will of the Lord is. Do His will, not your own will. And in verse 18, don't get drunk with wine because that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He's saying, out of grace, you know better. You have the light. So take advantage of it while you have the time. Take advantage of it while you have the time. We're able to walk now. God has made us able to walk in Christ. And God's God's word lights our path if we are willingly humble. So on the board, notice in this passage that believers walk, in verse 15, not always wisely, But nonetheless, they've been made able to walk. Walking in the light is impossible for an unbeliever. Just look at 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Paul could have never written Ephesians 5 to unbelievers and expected it to settle in their souls with any real meaning. It's kind of like it would be gibberish to them. But we've been called. We've been saved. We've been given the light. And he's like, nah, just, just walk in it. And you need the Word. Need the Word to light your path 
for your feet. The professional Christian walks wisely as a habit of life, living in the new creature. He chooses to humbly follow the Spirit's leading one day at a time, paying attention to the little things as a good soldier of Christ. And part of that is ministering to others. On the board, regarding this concept of a professional Christian, professionals care about the little things. In fact, that's what makes them good professionals in any field. That's part of what makes a good soldier for Christ in 2 Timothy 2. Now please remember, God isn't saying that he expects us to be flawless. He knows we're stuck in these bodies. He knows we're stuck in this world. Jesus understands every temptation that we ever face because he went through it all on earth. The Bible says he was tempted in every area, yet without sin. So he understands our weakness. He understands that we're going to fail. He's compassionate and empathetic. But here's what he is saying on this idea of a professional Christian, and this came up on Sunday too. God's desire is that we become increasingly professional as representatives of his son. That's the direction he's hoping we stay on that path, right? The narrow path. Let the word light the path for your feet each and every day. He's hoping we become increasingly professional representatives of his son. And that phrase really hit me as I was studying. Just think about that for a minute. We represent the Son of God. And at times, I don't want that burden on me. Because <laughs> everything you do, you know, especially if people know you're a Christian, they will scrutinize it. Everything we do can um, emphasize and bring Him glory, bring glory to His reputation or hurt His reputation by acting like a hypocrite, for example. But, you know, we have the power. We have the power to walk forward and bring Him glory. And we represent the Son of God. So if that doesn't humble us, when we really think about that, we've got to do some praying. So how will we wear the uniform that the Lord's given us? We're called soldiers of Christ. How will we use the weapons he's given us in Ephesians 6? Will we be a sloppy soldier or will we be a, a disciplined, obedient soldier that God's very proud of? Or will we ignore his provisions and live for ourselves, neglecting the great honor he's given us to walk in his path for us? We saw on Sunday some passages that give us a picture of what it's like to be a professional Christian on the board. In Proverbs 4, 23 through 24 in the message, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Verse 25, keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither to the right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. How does God transform us into good soldiers of Christ? True professionals that do this. Well, again, as a reminder, 
He needs to humble us. In Deuteronomy 8.3, He humbled you and let you be hungry that He might make you understand. Listen, let's face it. There's many times that the only way we'll understand is if He humbles us first. So again, thank God for that grace who knows the best thing for you to come through the other side. And that's why he humbles us. He even lets let them go hungry so that they might understand. God uses whatever means necessary to impress his will and purpose upon man's heart, whether it's accommodating to man's sensibilities or not. And that is true grace. That's a true friend, right? That's a good father who tells the truth and doesn't spare the pain because he knows that's what his child needs to open his eyes and see the light. Again, true grace isn't easy, but it's truthful and it's honest. And it's for your, your best. It's for your best interest. On the board, God will humble us if we aren't already humbled. This is grace. This is grace. Instead of blaming God, look from the other angle and thank Him. Be like, you know what? I needed that. And you might not admit it right away, but when you come out the other side, you'll see it. I needed that. God will humble us if we aren't already humbled. And we all fall into this category, by the way, in some part of our life. This is grace that is designed to produce something, particularly humility, that opens us up to even more grace, and so on. I was reading this point earlier today, and I kind of took it for granted. I was kind of brushing over it. We've seen it a few times now, right? And it's easy to get a little bit puffed up or whatever and say, I already, I already know that point. But when you really read this point, the grace come, coming from the humbling, it opens up even more grace to us. You can't, you can't get, God can't give you the blessings he wants to give you unless you get to a certain point. And then he wants to pour more out on you. But if you're not able to handle it, for example, he's, he, he's as a good father, holding back some things. But the point on the board, you know, thank him for being humbled. Thank him for the tough lessons, both the the lessons at Bible class and the lessons of life because he's taken you someplace and that could be the, be the biggest form of grace in your life. As the Spirit's been revealing to us on the board, grace isn't always nice. Man has pigeonholed grace into a one-sided thing where it's defined as all things that accommodate man's predisposition about God's benevolence towards his creatures. Oh, God loves me, so he's always going to do what I want. Right? God loves me, so he's going to give me what I want. That's a little bit of a childish way of thinking, don't you think? Like, shouldn't you say he's my father in heaven and the Bible says he even disciplines those that he loves? So maybe his grace is a little bigger than I'm thinking here, even though I hope he you know, gives me what I want. But... <laughs> We, we, we don't want to see both sides of the coin because we're selfish. 
focused on self. These are the inventions of man's flesh. So as we close this Thanksgiving, let's be grateful that God doesn't just accommodate us to make our lives easier. As much as we like that at times, we should be very grateful, especially when we come out the other side and we see what he's doing in us or doing for us. Let's be thankful that his grace tells us the truth. His grace cares about what's truly best for us. Not just making life easy. God is taking us places, folks. He wants us to see. And he wants us to be set free by what we see. But he's got to get us out of the way first. So he's got to humble us first. And that is the greatest grace we could really want to receive from a loving father. So on the board, let's be thankful. What a wonderful father we have above even though we can't see the end results as we go through the tough lessons, look how far he's taken us. Thank God for where he's brought us, like in this church, out of the mire of hyper-doctrinalization, hyper-categorizing everything, into a place of freedom, following Christ with simplicity and purity. Just reading his word, believing it, enjoying it, and living in it. What could be more beautiful than that? Again, on the board, what a wonderful Father we have above. Even though we can't see the end results as we go through the tough lessons, look how far He's taken us. Don't ever take that for granted, you know? It's been a grace gift. So, as we close, I hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving, and I hope we all take the chance to sit back and remember His grace in our lives. All of it. All forms of it. Amen? All right, let's close. Father, we thank You so much. We're eternally grateful. And we're especially thankful for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We know without Him we have no hope. We can't earn eternal life. We're unable to as sinners. But we thank you so much for sacrificing your own son in our place and judging him for all of our sins and then even raising him from the dead. Father, we thank you for new life through your son, Jesus Christ, who has conquered sin and death for us. So that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved, as is the promise in your word. Father, please bless us all as we go. Help us apply these things to our lives and share them with those we love. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit.